Hey, welcome to The Scrum, WGBH's politics podcast. I'm Adam Riley, and in this episode, we're talking about the shift that is underway in the Massachusetts Republican Party, which under former state representative Jim Lyons sounds a lot more like the National Republican Party than it used to. Joining us to size up where the party has been, where it's heading, and what that portends for the future are Stephanie Murray, the author of Politico's Massachusetts Playbook, and WGBH's own Mike Dean, who heads up our State House Bureau. Mike and Stephanie, thank you both for making the trek here to Brighton. Hey. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to be here, Adam. You're also going to hear in just a few minutes from Lonnie Brennan, the publisher of the Boston Broadside, which bills itself as the People's Paper and the only mass-distributed non-liberal newspaper in New England. For the record, we are eager to get Jim Lyons himself on the Scrum. He wasn't able to join us for this episode, but we're hoping to catch him in the future. That said, Mike and Stephanie, let's start out with a few examples which I think highlight the rhetorical and strategic shift that's currently underway in the mass GOP. This week, in a couple of social media posts, the party wrote, if you want to be the radical Democrats presidential nominee, impeachment is not enough. You also have to hate America. The posts linked to a Fox News piece on Pete Buttigieg, Democratic presidential candidate, that quoted him saying, the past that President Trump is promising the return to was never as great as advertised, especially for marginalized Americans. The MassGOP also had a Facebook post urging people to watch a video about a girl in Connecticut who is frustrated that her track and field events are now dominated by two transgender girls. The post read, a must watch. Imagine if this was your daughter denied a shot at glory because the radical left decided their quest for social justice points is more important than her hard work on the track. And finally, the party is pushing ahead with a plan to change its own rules and give all of its 2020 presidential delegates to whatever candidate tops 50% in the Republican primary, something that should help President Trump and keep his challenger, Bill Weld, from making an impact at the 2020 Republican National Convention. Stephanie, you broke that story, I believe, for Politico. Yep. What's going on here? Uh, it depends how you're looking at it. You could, you know, as you said, if the Republican Party is more coming to resemble the national Trump Party more and more, um, you might say that that is a natural progression. He dominated the primary here in 2016. Um, Governor Baker is a brand unto himself. And I, I think throughout this, I'm going to keep returning to Governor Baker as as a non-Republican brand at this point. But if you want to energize Republicans and conservatives, as many of them as there may be, be in Massachusetts, uh, this is what is energizing to them. They are far more tuned into the national aspect of everything than I think that they are uh, at the local level. They'll be there for Baker when he needs them to be. We saw that uh, last year in in the primary and in the election, uh, the general election. They'll be there for him, maybe sending a message that they don't entirely love the way he does business by voting for Scott Lively. You know, uh, some of them uh, will. A third yeah, of them, at of the, course, the yeah, thir- a yeah. third of them will. Um, but for the, the the vast majority of them, want Baker in office to check, the, you know, the the yeah. rabid liberal legislature as they probably describe them as. So I don't think it's that much of a shock to see the party as it shrinks to reach out to, you know, that kind of foundational base. Stephanie, do you agree with Mike? I agree with Mike. And I think that you can really attribute this entire sea change that's happening um, in the communication strategy, the social media strategy of the mass GOP is to Chairman Jim Lyons, who was elected in January. Um, He was fresh off of losing his seat in the legislature to a Democrat, Trump win. 
And most of us in the state house remember him as somebody who was really outspoken about issues like abortion. He always voted against the budget. And he's kind of taking that more Trumpian support for Republican issues, and he's taking that to chair the party. Let's talk a little more about his rep at the state house because you mentioned him being against abortion, voting against the budget. What were some of his other signature stands while he was in the legislature? Jim Lyons, uh, throughout his career, I believe he was elected in 2010, so he was, you know, a legislator for less than a decade. But he certainly uh, was one of, if not the foremost, anti-abortion lawmakers in the legislature. Uh, it's widely known he he is a pretty standout um, anti-abortion, you know, pro-life activist. Um, he will talk often about how he and his wife do attend protests, and I believe she is a, in, a, a considers herself a counselor. Um, you know, urging women not to get abortions. Yeah, precisely. Handing literature at clinics, things like that, that, um, you know, within the laws that we have in Massachusetts and the buffer zone and all that, but um, they are active in that, um, that sphere. Uh, so he was always very much someone who was going to, you know, take to the floor. I, I think if Jim Lyons has any le legacy, he was perhaps the last Massachusetts Republican House member to want to debate things <laughs> successfully, <laughs> to, to bring things to the floor to uh, use parliamentary procedure to block things. Jim Lyons and Jim Lyons alone is the guy who stalled the uh, the Gender X license bill that uh, that came up. And, and, and I believe probably also... This the, is the bill that would have allowed people who don't identify as male or female to claim a, a third gender, Gender X on yeah, their driver's Yeah, there, there were two big social issue, uh, two issue bills at the end of the last legislative session. It's the Gender X licensing that Adam, you just described, as well as the conversion therapy ban, the gay conversion therapy ban that uh, had passed both chambers. Uh, and due to some legislative wrangling and the fact that the legislature does everything at the last possible moment they possibly can. Um, Except they, for making road runner the state song but that's that's true or giving themselves country. raises they'll do that right away <laughs> that's a whole other thing but um you know because of that time factor Lyons was able to successfully block that bill and it took another six months nine months uh to make it become law even though it had passed both chambers by wide wide margins so like i say if anything he's going to be the last legislatively effective conservative maybe Stephanie Murray, Jim Lyons got his job when he won a vote. I think it was in January of this year. There had been talk that Jeff Deal was going to maybe become the state party chair, try to be the state party chair. He ended up not doing that. So Jim Lyons beat Brent Anderson, who uh, – is he still the, the GOP's treasurer? Is he still in that role? Okay. I'm glad that I'm not the only one who's not entirely sure, who at least at one point was – the GOP's treasurer. Uh, I think he won maybe 47 votes to 30 or something like that after Anderson had claimed that he blocked up the votes necessary to, to win. Do you know why Lyons won that fight? Well, I think if we go back to looking that, at that Scott Lively vote at the convention, um, there's a lot of frustration among the small, small group that is the Massachusetts Republican Party about what they want the party to look like, whether it's more of a Baker Baker-led party or a more Trumpian party. And so I think that's probably why you saw Lyons rise to the head of the party. So Brent Anderson, I assume, was keener on the let's follow Charlie Baker's lead approach. That was the way he wanted to do business. Mike, do you know the answer to that? I can tell you that Lyons and Baker have an interesting connection in that 
uh, Lyons very early on endorsed Charlie Baker for re-election. He was, you know, we, we were painting Lyons as the arch conservative here, and he very much was within the confines of the legislature. However, it's important to remember that Lyons did not endorse Scott Lively when he challenged Governor Baker. Lyons was with Baker all the way. Uh, Baker's a video at that convention started out with Jim Lyons telling other conservatives what a great governor Charlie Baker is. Uh, likewise, Baker campaigned for Lyons against his challenger in the race that he eventually lost. He fundraised for him. Uh, there was all sorts of, you he know... He took some guff for that, He right? absolutely from, did. Uh, from, from the party, Gonzalez. from Jay yeah. Gonzalez, from a lot of the legislators. Uh, very rarely will legislators criticize Charlie Baker, Democratic legislators criticize Charlie Baker, but they certainly did when he went down to, uh, to Andover to you know, campaign for alliance. They had an alliance last year during the, those elections, and I think that perhaps smoothed the way for Lyons to ascend to the chairmanship because he was a guy that Baker, I mean, even if Baker, he wasn't his preferred candidate, I don't know uh, if Baker was in a position to say no to his pal there. And Lyons um, didn't support Trump originally either. He was a Ted Cruz supporter in That's 2016. True. Stephanie, I want to throw the big million-dollar question at you first, and then Mike can take a crack at it. As we've alluded to previously, the mass GOP is not, by and large, a force to be reckoned with right now. They've got the corner office, obviously, and Charlie Baker's very popular. But of the roughly 4.5 million registered voters in the state, 55% are unenrolled, 33% are Democrats, and 10%, I think, are Republicans. And you know, There's some uh, who don't fit easy categorization hanging around the margins. And in the state house, they are, it seems to me, basically an afterthought in both the Senate and the House. So do you think that Jim Lyons or the Jim Lyons-led Mass Republican Party taking the tone that they've been taking in the last few months is going to be an effective way to change that? Or is it just going to be a way for a very small group of people to feel pure and, you know, make the points they want to make, but without actually growing their electoral base. Well, that's exactly what Lyons says he's trying to do. And that was kind of the thinking in his eyes behind changing the delegate strategy for 2020. He so wants to he wants to grow the party by growing the party. So he wants to take the focus off of the Republican presidential primary, not have caucuses, not deal with distributing delegates and just take all of that focus, all of that money and put it towards supporting candidates in local elections to try to gain back some ground in the legislature. Whether the party is going to be able to raise money, raise support, bring in new members and do that, I think that remains to be seen. But that is what he says he's trying to do. Okay, so that's the rationale for making the change they're talking about making when it comes to delegate allocation. But do you grow the party by saying that to be the radical Democrats presidential nominee, it's not enough to want to impeach President Trump, you have to hate America? Because the last time I checked, President Trump is wildly unpopular here in Massachusetts. And Charlie Baker, who's got these great approval ratings, I don't think I've ever heard him say anything along the lines of the radical Democrats hate America. So play analyst here or, or pundit as opposed to reporter for a second. Do you think this is a good approach for the mass GOP to use as they try to bring more people into the fold? You know, I'm not sure. And I think we're going to get our answer next year when there are some statewide elections, some local elections, and see if that works. I mean, conventional wisdom would tell you no. Like, Charlie Baker is the most popular governor in America. He's a Republican in a blue state. He's actually more popular among Democrats than Ed Markey. That brand of Republicanism really, really plays well here. And, like, you see that similarly in states like Maryland with Governor Larry Hogan and in Vermont. So looking at Baker as the head of the party going this direction with the rest of the party 
it's kind of hard to square that. Mike, what do you think? Uh, Baker attempts to square it once in a while, and I think that whenever you ask him, at least whenever I ask him about these types of things, he will say that the, it's a big tent party and there's a lot of different viewpoints, and he doesn't agree with everything that his chairman or that the party stands for, okay, the so same way that Democrats don't stand for everything. I haven't had a chance to ask a question of Governor Baker in person in a little while, mm. but on this front, I mean, I, I would love to ask him, okay, here's what the Mass GOP is doing Governor Baker, you said at the end of your second inaugural address, let's make our brand of politics positive and optimistic instead of cruel and dark. And instead of the bickering and name calling that dominates much of today's political debate, let's build on the work of those who came before us and make our work about how we can make this great state better. He loves to present Massachusetts under his leadership as a model for the nation about how politics could be and should be. So sure, you know, it's a big temp party. He doesn't have to agree with everyone in it. But it seems to me there's a real tension between his vision and the approach that Lyons is taking. Am I being too harsh there? No, you're absolutely right that that is the governor's rhetoric. But I think that he could possibly just turn that around and say that, well, my way is one of the ideas that a Republican in Massachusetts can have. And he's going to keep going back to that big tent idea over and over again. I think that really is the Baker message on this has been going on for months now, and he really hasn't deviated from that messaging. So I, it, you can, if you can get him in a corner and get him to elaborate on some of these things and, and make him think about whether or not he, he can do that. I mean, the most similar thing I can think about this is when he was waffling over endorsing Jeff Deal for U.S. Oh, yeah. Senate, where he, he, he seemed to be taking the high road philosophically while considering it. Uh, and I remember I asked him at that scrum after that debate, after he did not say he would endorse on the television, and then immediately after the televised debate, he, he told us that he had misspoken. He will absolutely support the entirety of the ticket. Baker is a Republican. The same guy who's going to vote the entire Republican ticket, no matter what, is the guy who's going to, you know, tell you what you need to hear about how it, if or what he supports about the party. Okay, let me ask you the same question, paraphrase, that I ran by Stephanie a couple minutes ago. Is it good for the party as they try to get new members? I mean, I know Jim Lyons has talked, among other things, about doing urban outreach. If he does urban outreach, maybe he's already doing it. I don't know. We can ask him about that if and when he comes in. Do you, do you make gains in the inner city by going out and saying, hey, you should know that the radical left Democrats hate America, and if you love America, as I'm sure you do, the GOP is the party for you? I mean, I'm that, I, that's, you know, an off-the-cuff, you know, I'm—, I'm hypothesizing there about what the pitch could be. But is this rhetoric good for making more people want to be Republicans? I would say that it's good for some people who might want to vote Republican or get out to the polls. It's, you know, it's certainly inspiring to the the, the base level, the conservative base yeah, out there. But they've got 10 percent of the registered voters in the state. If there's going to be an urban outreach, you're going to be going after independents who are not reading the press releases from the Massachusetts State Party. They don't know who Jim Lyons is. They don't care who Jim Lyons is. They know the candidate that's knocking on their door. And the candidate's knocking on the door, if they get, if they have some money from Jim Lyons to do an urban initiative, then yeah, maybe they can win a precinct in some in Springfield and in Quincy and wherever. That has nothing to do with the kind of Trumpian rhetoric because these voters... The same way that voters aren't holding Baker responsible for the rhetoric of the state party, uh, voters for a legislative candidate are not going to hold their candidate you know, responsible. This is two different worlds. But in the same vein, um, the Mass GOP has been running ads on Facebook against Democratic legislators saying that they support a quote-unquote infanticide bill, that they support sanctuary state. So 
some of that rhetoric is getting in front of people's faces on their Facebook feeds. And I mean, whether they're just scrolling past it and ignoring it, we'd have to look at their analytics to see. But they are trying to put that rhetoric not just in reporters' email inboxes, but also on social media. Mm -hmm. I'm really glad you made that point, both because it underscores that, in fact, ordinary people are going to see some of this stuff, and because the abortion issue, I mean, that that the use of the term infanticide, it's possible that I missed a press release from Kirsten Hughes's mass GOP or Jennifer Nassour's mass GOP that you know, referred to infanticide, but I don't think I did. Right. And that is something that we can definitely say about this party right now is that with Lyons in charge, the mass, uh, you know, the GOP, the state party is now firmly, firmly pro-life in a way that it had not been before and in a way that is at odds with the governor in in a big, big way. On this particular bill, um, in the the late-term abortion bill, which is what this is, (laughs) when we we toss around the word infanticide pretty lightly uh, when it comes to to this bill, it's an... an Well, the mass GOP does. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, the... uh, the bill would ex- extend access to a third trimester abortions in the state in, in a pretty significant way. Uh, it would you know, increase access to that. Uh, and like I said before, that is Lyon's number one issue. He is a pro-lifer before anything else. So to have him in charge of the party means giving that up. I don't think anyone could have you know, reined him in on, on something like that. Um, that is a bill that, you, that you know, you're, you're playing to the Democrats in that side of things. You're trying to get uh, conservative Democrats, of which there are many, many in the legislature, let's remember, nervous about having to vote on something like that. It's not being nervous about, you know, having voted. It's being nervous about having to vote on something like that, which is why it it may not come up uh, this session. And some of the more progressive Democrats are actually taking screenshots of those ads and then tweeting them out themselves with the link to their Act Blue page. So it's a fundraising tool for some progressives, yeah. too. If I can go back to kind of Lyons's strategy. Of Either going, of you can talk about anything oh, you want. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> it's like I work here. <laughs> um, if, if you're Jim Lyons and you're trying to get more legislators elected you know, to the state legislature and you look, well, what did, what did Mitt Romney do in 2006? The, the, mo- the then moderate governor. It was the reform whole, team. It was the reform team. It was the Romney slate and they got slaughtered. Not a single candidate from the Romney slate got elected with the full force of the moderate governor behind him. Charlie Baker just tried the same thing. Didn't go anywhere. The only time the legislative victories have happened was in 2010 under Scott Brown, under, you know, under the, the Tea Party movement and that feeling. And if you're Jim Lyons, you're like, when did we pick up 30 seats? It was 2010. Uh, if that, I don't know if, you know, you can land those, you know, you can kind of uh, uh, get that fire burning again. It's different now. But the, the Trump fire is the closest thing we can find to the Tea Party fire of 2010. I, it's not crazy to think that Jim Lyons wants to exercise that portion of the party to get out there and vote. That's a great point, Mike. And I think another thing that's important to remember is that this kind of dynamic is not just playing out in Massachusetts. Um, Somebody in the state party in Maryland said that they're going to make sure that Larry Hogan or Bill Weld doesn't get a single delegate from Maryland. And Larry Hogan might run for president and he's the popular Republican governor of Maryland. Like, it's just so fascinating the way that this is playing out. Is there anything that I didn't give 
uh, the two of you a chance to weigh in on involving this particular issue that's important? If the, there's not, that's fine. But. The only point I would make is just the uh, the reality legislatively of where the Republicans are. You, you hinted at it before. You know, they're they're an afterthought in a lot of ways. That's not necessarily true. The leadership of the Republican Party plays a very big role within the inner workings of the leadership of the Democratic Party. Uh, having them on board as a block for certain procedural things, uh, basically making them happy so they don't obstruct the plans of the Democratic majority uh, is really the way it goes. Since so many of these Republicans are fairly centrist themselves, they get along very, very well with the centrist or conservative Democrats. They have the same politics most of the time. So it, it, they are you know, marginalized there. That's why when we talk about the handful of true conservatives in the House, in the Senate, you could say there aren't any true, at least social conservatives. In the House, it is a more go along to get along. If you look at the globe uh, just last week had a, a great story about kind of the 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 fruits of that labor that the top 3 house republicans got in the budget because they are yep. they are senior people and their districts got an awful lot of that kind of uh you know pork pork fat, fat uh, spending out of the house budget because they they play the game and they're effective legislators. Uh, you know, it's kind of the same thing. Thank you for that corrective to what I said. No, seriously, I, that that's great insight from someone who's in the building and knows how it works. Stephanie, last word is yours if you want it. I mean, I think this is just the big point that the mass GOP is more closely aligned with the ideas of President Donald Trump than it is with Governor Charlie Baker. And it's like that on an ideological level, but it's also working behind the scenes. They're also working more closely with the Trump folks than they are with the Baker folks. The Trump campaign encouraged this delegate change. Um, they were happy to talk to me about it. And when Governor Baker got asked about this delegate situation, he said that he hadn't weighed in and it was his understanding that the rules change every committee and things change every election. And so just that closer behind the scenes working is also happening. It's not just the rhetoric that you see online or in emails. It's also going on behind the scenes. All right. Stephanie Murray, Mike, Dean, thanks to both of you for bringing the wisdom here. Thank you, Adam. Thanks for having me. And now, as promised, I'm joined by Lonnie Brennan, the publisher of the Boston Broadside, and WGBH senior editor Peter Kadzis, both of whom have been listening from the control booth. Peter, before we hear from Lonnie, any thoughts on what Stephanie and Mike had to say? One, I, I must say, I don't understand the GOP's push on the politics of transgender. I'm I'm not sure where that's going. I do say that the politics of transgender are, are transgender politics. I'm not sure what the best way to phrase that is. Are far more complicated than people realize. That it's one thing to argue about bathroom rights. It gets much more complicated when you get down into high school sports, for example. And I'll I'll just leave it at that. The winner-take-all primary is, a, is an, a very interesting idea. The reason I say that, and Mike touched on where I'm going here, I'm not sure that this vote is aimed at Charlie Baker. Um, it's most likely aimed at Bill Weld. The reason I say that is um, the Democratic-controlled uh, House and Senate could put the screws to President Trump anytime they want by adopting a requirement that anyone who's in a Massachusetts presidential primary has to release their tax returns. The legislature's not going to do that because they don't want to alienate the Republicans in the legislature because they have a very good working relationship. As Mike said, yeah. Yeah. 
All right, Lonnie Brennan, tell me if I'm wrong here, but my sense is that you like the direction Jim Lyons is moving in. Right? Oh, yeah, absolutely, positively. You Why? know, and, and, and to touch on a couple of topics you just did, I don't care about Trump's taxes. You know, I, I really don't. They, it's like all this Russian collusion, Russian collusion, Russian collusion. Um, doesn't all of our astronauts going up to the space center go on Russian rockets because we shut down our program? quite some time ago, 2011. Well, we're not. So, this is, so a, this is a, with, a Russia conversation. So so, so, I think so Peter's point them, was just that you know? the Democrats in the State House could, you know, render whatever the master yeah, I, I is know, doing but, when it comes but to delegate the, selection. But the minute that program. issue died, then they jumped on, well, we need his taxes. Okay. And if he gives them out, decides to give them out, great, fantastic. But I'm really that, not terribly interested. But that's not something that, that the yeah. master piece is talking about. Tell me why you like what Jim Lyons is doing. Well, first of all, you're probably one of the few people I would think on the planet that even remember the last chairpersons of the mass GOP going back probably, you know, two decades. What have they done? Uh, they've handed over everything to the Democrats. So they've created a one party state, as you've discussed. When, when you sit in, um, I can't do this for radio, uh, a graphic, but OK, 140 legislators. In the, Theater in the of the mind. So, yeah, Theater of the mind legislators. For a so I have 100, 140 uh, cans that I'm going to put in my refrigerator and 127 of them. Uh, Coca-Cola cans. The Republicans fit inside the little grocery drawer inside right. your refrigerator. I mean, right. that's how few cans there are. They're outnumbered, you know, four to one constantly, every place they go. I mean, the Republicans, as you said, 10% enrollment couldn't be any lower right now. Why would you vote Republican? I'm a reluctant Republican. I, I became a reluctant Republican because the Democratic Party got hijacked away from me and got to be that radical thing that people are talking about saying, and I, I really don't think they mean the Democrat Party or the Democrats. I'm related to a lot of really very patriotic, um, very hardworking, very good Democrats, okay? Including my mother and what, say, four, huh. four, uh, five of my brothers and sisters. You know, I think what they're talking about is the current leadership of the Republican Party. And or, I think it's the totally unfair. I'm of the Democratic Party. And I think it's totally unfair to label Democrats as being anti American in any way, shape, or form. And that that message needs to be toned. So I will disagree oh, with. So I will disagree with the Republicans that come out and start slamming Democrats on something like that. That's just fundamentally wrong. I don't like it. Adam, I can see a method to Jim Lyons' alleged madness. You mentioned in in the previous segment that. The biggest bump the GOP got in the legislature was during the Tea Party years. That was Mike's point. Yeah, oh, that was, was Mike's point. I'm sorry. It's a good one. And that's because the Tea Party was very tax-oriented, very spending-oriented. Now, I take Lyons at his word that he wants to build from the bottom up. And there is so much pressure building up among Democrats or some Democrats on Beacon Hill to substantially raise taxes that if there's a battle about it, and even if the, the progressives hmm. lose, this is going to give the Republicans ammunition. And the best way to get to fire that ammunition off is on select, you know, the boards of selectmen in school boards in local towns and in some cases cities. I think the progressives on Beacon Hill have no idea how tax-averse people in Massachusetts are. It's not that they want tax rollbacks, um, although some would take it. They don't understand how tax-averse they are. And if the Democrats move to increase taxes, even if that move fails, I think that's positive ammunition for Jim Lyons. Is that right? Bonnie, do you think? Uh, I, I'm with you a lot of the way, but not all the way. There are a lot of people who don't pay taxes. There are a lot of people that are retired 
um, and they're really not paying. Let's face it, they're on Social Security, they're on, they're on Medicare. Um, they're wonderful, great people who've done their time, and you know, they're and now they're sitting back. And for some of them, their bigger concerns are their grandchildren, and how are the grandchildren being being treated? And you brought up an interesting point, as did the other speakers, uh, about this transgender stuff. Now, that's a topic I don't care about, again, like taxes. I just don't care about. But when you bring it down, as you did, to, you know, the middle school or the high school girl, you know, if my daughter was in high school and one of, you know, uh, one of my sons, uh, I'm just thinking back uh, a few years now, and one of my son's friends decided, hey, I'm going to be on the girls' track team. (laughs) I know some of his friends. I mean, they're practically six feet tall, you know, and they, they, they run like the wind and going against the girls. There's a difference some places. And I think it's a discussion that needs to be made, just not, yeah, we're going to do the transaction. So getting back to, you know, Jim Lyons. Why do I love Jim Lyons? He comes with portfolio for starters, and he comes with guts. Now, that portfolio you started off talking about, we, we've missed a few things here. It was Jim Lyons, you, you mentioned about holding up the budget, who single-handedly held up the budget until he could get Deval Patrick to say, this is what we're spending, $1.6 million on illegal aliens in Massachusetts. Now, that was when Deval Patrick was governor. So we're going back quite some time. So have we gotten the number recently? No, but it's estimated to be a lot more than $1.6, I'm sorry, billion dollars, billion with a B, out of a $42 billion budget currently. At that time, it was like, what, $38, $39 billion a few years back. So he also comes with portfolio of being not just pro-life, which I think we should spend a moment defining what pro-life means, because I think people really have a bad concept of that, or at least a different one than what I have, and I'd like to share, but also very pro-family. And by pro-family, do you remember Justina Pelletier at all? The Justina yes. Pelletier case. Okay, she was a child who was taken at age 15 or age 14, children's hospital in DCF. The big government took control of her and said, we know better for you. The parents said, wait a second, you know, we're not trying to bring her to Joe's, you know, hospital. We're trying to bring her Tufts Medical Center. We have a dispute with children's. We, we want our doctor over there at Tufts. And they said, no, we're going to put her up. We're going to put her in Badger 5. We're going to stick her in a psych ward. This, you know, it's, it's all psychological. And they held on to the girl. She lost precious years of her life under state custody. And it took Jim Lyons. It took Jeff Cooner. It took a number of local celebrities and national celebrities. And it took the father to get various people, including a priest, to embarrass Deval Patrick to the point where he just said, oh, jeez, let's just get rid of this. Jim Lyons was at that. Jim Lyons was at the rally. Jim Lyons was on our, in our newspaper. He's a big family guy. He's a strong family guy. I know Jim Lyons. Jim on his refrigerator, you mentioned Bernie, Bernadette's wife. She, her refrigerator is full of faces of newborn children that she helped to save because by being pro-life, it means you are in support of life and humanity from embryonic to geriatric. You don't get rid of an old person and say, well, they're not contributing to society, they're sick, they're in a nursing home, they can't hear anymore, they don't have an arm or a leg, or whatever the malady, you don't just kill them, you have humanity. You don't get rid of, I don't know what the terms are used nowadays, they say they're on the spectrum or they have some kind of disability, a mental handicap, in the old days they call them retarded. You don't discard a human being and, a, and a, you know, a precious child. And all the way down to the big issue today, the pro-life and this pro-choices, Bernie, if she has a choice, as I have, as you have, as everybody has, you get to make a choice in this current debate. So being pro-life means stopping for a moment and saying, what's the human thing to do? What's the compassionate thing to do? And Jim Lyons is probably the most compassionate person that I have ever met 
in terms of his empathy for the taxpayers, for Justina Pelletier, for family rights, and for the unborn or the soon-to-be-born. And that's the biggest fear right now. And maybe they're doing it wrong, I will concede, by being, quote, inflammatory. But you know what? It got his topic into your studio, into other studios, and he needs to get here, too. And it needs to be discussed We'd and not just thrown so. down. I think there were some real problems with the legislation that is now under consideration. It's billed as an extension of, uh, uh, of guaranteeing Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade has already been guaranteed by the state legislature. Now, pro-life, anti-abortion people disagree with that guarantee. Uh, there's a sizable portion of pro-choice people who say it hasn't been guaranteed enough. But they're dishonest when they say this is guaranteeing Roe v. Wade. This is extending Roe v. Wade. And it, it does make third-term abortions legally acceptable, yes, to protect the, the life and welfare of the mother. But it also, this bill also extends the right of, lowers the right of teenagers. Teenagers can have an abortion without their parents' oh, consent. Yeah, age, age 12, yeah. And um, I don't know if it's age 12, but that, it's certainly... That's what was the latest legislation um, at age 12. You know, it's ironic that you can't buy cigarettes because they've just <laughs> low to 21, but you can go through having an abortion. It's ironic that you can be age 5 and believe in, uh, in Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, but you can have a sex change. You know, at age five. I mean, that's kind of, you know, yeah. Well, with your parents' Maybe we should hold off a little bit there. What I'm trying to say, and and I fear I may have muddled some of it, is that I'm not sure this is going to come to a vote. The reason I say that is there are enough Democrats. uh, I, I wonder if there are enough Democrats who are afraid, put off by having to make a vote about extending Roe v. Wade as opposed to protecting Roe v. Wade. It'll be interesting to see. It'll be a real defining moment in Massachusetts politics, even if this comes to a vote, let alone whether it passes. Now, the Speaker of the House, who I have no idea what his stand is on this, Speaker DeLeo rarely lets important matters come to a vote unless the vote is going to go the way he wants. I don't know what he wants. I could see this passing in the Senate. I have a hard time seeing it passing in the House. It's vague. But what's even worse right now from the compassionate standpoint is that what is currently in, printed in the legislation, the proposed legislation right now, proposed bill, is you can be nine months pregnant and you can have that abortion any place. And currently, uh, you have to be in a hospital if you go beyond a certain point. And they specifically say you do not be, have to be in a hospital. I don't have the language here in front of me, but I read it like two days ago. And it's like that to me was a thing that said, why, why are you writing something like that? If you care about the woman at that stage of development, at that stage of birth, th- there's a lot of complications of whatever. You'd think you'd have some kind of things to make sure that if she has the right in law to have an abortion, that she'd have the best of medical care. But it seems they're going out of their way to say, no, I just haven't done any place. Lonnie, let me ask you, I can understand why the abortion debate, for example, would be intensely animating to people on both sides of the political spectrum or across the political spectrum. Um, Wherever I might come down personally, I think I can understand the source of strong feelings from the furthest right to the furthest left. I'm with you. I understand. I'm more confused when it comes to issues involving 
gender. And we obviously, we're, we're talking about great big existential questions here. We don't have the time to fully debate and discuss uh-huh. these things. You, you mentioned, you know, a five-year-old getting a sex change. I can see why a parent might say, hey, look at that transgender girl running against my girl. I don't think it's fair because they have the musculature of a boy and and my kid can't win. I I can sort of wrap my brain around that. It's a lot harder for me to understand why. Yeah, yes, I understand that five years old is awfully early to be making a decision about what gender you identify with. But I have also, I feel, uh, seen and heard enough stories of parents who say, my kids simply felt like they were the wrong sex from the time that they were very young. And that's how or that's why, even though I struggled with it personally, I ended up supporting their statement that they needed to live as the other sex. I, I Like if with my kids, they're not experiencing that. But if they did, I'd want my kids to be happy above all else. So I, I, it's hard for me to understand why the gender question is as animating as it is for, I think, people like you. So I'm, I'm about as interested in the gender question as I am in Trump's taxes. Okay, and, you just and, made and the as, reference as to, you know, being eyebrow-raising that a five-year-old can yeah, yeah. say that they're the wrong sex. Yeah, I, okay, I, so I find that to be kind of strange, and I think it's something that, look, I don't believe in making long-term decisions on short-term emotions. So if you're going to take time and think about something, just like the woman giving birth, first of all, you got to think, why did you go nine months? What are you, nuts? Go through all that pain? But hey, I'm a guy. I don't know. But don't make a long-term decision based on a short-term emotion. So that's why I brought up the five-year-old. You know, why, why are we pushing these kind of things? I don't know. But it's a discussion that can, be, that can be had. That's all. So let me run by you a version of the question that I ran by Stephanie and Mike. Is focusing on the issues that Jim Lyons is focusing on, and I, I know you've said on a couple occasions, you know, maybe tonally he's not doing this quite right. You know, I don't like him saying that Democrats or some Democrats hate America, for example. But do you think that his overall approach, going harder on a lot of these issues than his predecessors did, is it an effective way to grow the party and its influence in Massachusetts, or is it just something that you like as a matter of principle? I'm just psyched that conservatives can finally have a voice in the Republican Party of Massachusetts. Because up until now, all that big tent talk was a lot of crap, a lot of horse hockey. Uh, if you're a conservative in any way, shape, and form, you were not welcome. You were treated like a second-class citizen if you had anything other than a liberal pro-death. Not even pro-choice. We're talking pro-death support. I know. I felt it. It's there. Well, well, so, yes, I think that it's wonderful that now we're having that voice. And I think that people are looking at that and they're, thinking, they're looking just at that when, why are we doing all this? Because it's happening nationally right now, so we're jumping onto it. It's in all the things. But what does Jim really care about? Let's go back to what he did, the budget, the budget, the budget. So, yeah, we're going to go through this here. You're going to emphasize this. I'm going to say I could care less or whatever, but we'll cover it because that's what's happening. That's, that's the issue. You're not going to ignore it. You're going to try to reflect it as best as you possibly can. But we've got more important things to deal with. You know, we, we had three quarters of a billion of pork spent last year, which we detailed a lot in the newspaper. Every single you guys month. do some good graphics. Yeah, yeah. We put teams. little pig faces on the worst offenders, you know, the, the gazebos or their golf clubs or their parking lots and why one police station gets uh, an overhang, but everybody else has to pay for their own. So we had a lot of fun with that. And you brought up earlier how, yeah, it's happening on both sides. That's yeah, why and I, I was going to say, it's my difficult. recollection is that you are pretty good yeah. about targeting people. Oh, we are equally abusive to Democrats as well as Republicans. Uh, Brad Jones has not fared well in this newspaper on many occasions. But then when he's done well, we've praised the heck out of him, too. Uh, that's been very, very rare. Peter Kansas, I think you get the last word here. Well, 
the the National Republican Party is never going to go back to what it was before Trump. Uh, the Republican Party has been much more fluid than most people realize. Some people say that the Tea Party, you know, was digested by the Republican Party. I would say no. I would say the Tea Party digested the Republican Party. And I Lonnie's think... Lonnie's nodding in yep, agreement just yep, for our listeners. And, yep. and I think uh, Donald Trump, who fascinates me as a phenomenon, there is something we'll someday agree on that is Trumpism. And Trumpism, minus Donald Trump, you know, has taken over the Republican Party. I think that the recent uh, switch in the delegate strategy is not pro-Trump as much as it is anti-Weld. Let's not forget that Bill Weld ticked off a lot of local Republicans by supporting Obama and Hillary Clinton. Again, maybe the most enthusiastic nod from Lonnie <laughs> yet in the sessions. And endorsing local Democrat, very ultra, ultra liberal representatives in their races against, for instance, people such as uh, Caroline Carlo Russo in, in, in Stoneham. I think that the Jim Lyon strategy for rebuilding the GOP on a grassroots level will succeed in direct proportion to focusing on state and local spending and taxation. Mm -hmm. I don't think the lifestyle issues, the lifestyle issues might do a lot to um, make the base feel good about themselves, but to expand it, it's gotta be taxes and spending. All right, Peter Kadzis, Lonnie Brennan, thank you both. And as always, thanks to you for taking the time to listen. You can find The Scrum at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, Overcast, a whole bunch of places. And when you do, please subscribe if you haven't already. You can also find me and Peter on Twitter. I'm at Riley Adam. He is at Kadzis. Or via email at scrum at WGBHnews.org. Our engineer for this episode was John Parker, and we got vital production help from Andrew Masawa. I'm Adam Riley. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News. Thank you.